Welcome to The Healing Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and I know that Ayurveda can transform your life. How? Because it transformed mine. And the best part is, it's easier than you think. Your body has exactly what it needs to heal itself. All you need to do to enhance its healing power is to start practicing healthy routines, which I can teach you. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple, ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. Let's get started. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 21. Well, hello, my beautiful friends. It's so wonderful to be back with you again for another episode of the Healing Catalyst podcast. Before I get into this episode, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you because you sent me so many messages for my birthday, text messages and voice messages and DMs and comments on my Instagram post the day after my birthday, just telling me that you either did reviews for me for the podcast or that my work is really impacting your life in some way. And it's it means so much to me. I'm actually tearing up thinking about it. So thank you for doing that. And it's pretty exciting because as of today, just before I started this recording, we're at 69 reviews. And so I'm almost at my goal of 100. So if you haven't done a podcast review for me, I would so appreciate it if you'd take just 60 seconds of your time to do one for me. Again, a five-star review with a few lines about how this podcast has helped you. Take a screenshot of that review and DM it to me over Instagram, and I will send you a signed copy of my book, The Health Catalyst, along with some of my favorite wellness products. So I have that linked in the show notes again so that it'll be really easy for you to do. So as you can imagine, you know, the past week since my 50th milestone birthday, I know I've been talking about this a lot, but it's, it's really been significant for me, again, because I had so many thoughts about where I'd be in my life and what I would have accomplished. And so I've really spent a lot of time the past seven days reflecting on my journey so far. And that was actually the inspiration behind an Instagram post that I wrote the day after my birthday. <laughs> um, and I used some choice language that I usually don't use. And I talked about giving zero Fs about what people think about me and my choices. And so I got so many comments and so many <laughs> likes and not that that's what I was looking for, but I think I got so much feedback that it really resonated with so many of you. In case you haven't seen the post, I'll link that in the show notes so you can see it. And it was really wonderful to hear the comments and you know hear your response. And it really got me thinking about the fact that I really want to and also really need to now start sharing more about myself and my journey. Because, you know, it's not all shiny and perfect as many people may think. 
I have been through a lot of health struggles, a lot of challenges in my life that are really the reason that I went down this path of going from the medicine that I trained in, which is Western medicine, back to the medicine that I grew up with, which is Ayurvedic medicine. And so I thought that actually this month, because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, which is the theme for May, I would talk more about myself. Specifically, the theme that I've picked for this month is to heal your mind. And I thought that this episode, like I said, would be the right place and the right time to really share more about myself, specifically my own struggles and challenges with depression. So now I have to say I'm sweating and shivering and sort of like trembling as I'm recording this because not only is mental health difficult to talk about in general, it's even harder when you're South Asian and you're a doctor. And I feel like I'm just going to start crying, but I'm going to get through this. Because in both instances, mental health is something that other people struggle with, right? It's something that other people are challenged with. It's something that you diagnose in your patients. It's not something that a South Asian woman or a doctor struggles with or is challenged with, or is diagnosed with. It's not something we talk about in the South Asian community as it relates to our families and our friends, or even in the medical community as it relates to doctors. And so here I am, a South Asian woman, a doctor, and I've struggled with depression most of my adult life. And it's so incredibly scary to say this because I worry that maybe some of you listening will think that I'm really weak. And it also feels a little self-indulgent in a way to talk about myself on this podcast that I created to help all of you. And then it's also a relief that I can share what I've been through. And really, if it even helps one of you listening, it's worth the extreme discomfort that I'm feeling right now. And so here we go. So my story begins really in medical school. You know, my journey in medical school started actually with severe anxiety while I was in medical school. You know, the sheer volume of work, the memorizing, the long hours, you know, it just became overwhelming for me. I've had test anxiety since I was in middle school, and I was always able to manage it, you know, just by working hard and studying hard. And putting in the time and the effort, I was able to achieve everything I wanted to. And when I got to medical school, just the sheer volume and the number of hours that it took for studying and classes and labs, it was like there weren't enough hours in the day for me to study enough to really keep up sometimes, but also to overcome my test anxiety. And so it was almost like I was on this hamster wheel. As soon as one exam would finish, I would be so incredibly anxious about the next one that I'd start worrying. And then I'd feel like I was a failure and round and round and round I'd go. And so this anxiety was turning into feelings of failure and guilt and not being enough. And eventually it started to become depression. But I didn't actually realize that. Add to this, I got married the summer between my first and second year of medical school. And then I had both my children while I was in medical school. And then I failed 
step one of my medical boards and had to retake the exam. And so I was at rock bottom. I was so anxious and so sad all the time. I felt so hopeless and so lost because becoming a doctor was the biggest dream I had. And I felt like it would never happen. Okay, I got to take one second. I literally never talked about the fact that I failed the, the first step of the boards. Whew. Okay. And so that was sort of my feeling that I felt like I was always failing at becoming a doctor, at being a wife, at being a mother. And I didn't even realize that I was actually depressed. I thought I was just anxious. It wasn't until after the birth of my first child, my son Zane, when I had signs of depression that my OB recognized, but she didn't diagnose it as postpartum depression because it was about two months after I gave birth, which is outside of the clinical definition of postpartum depression. But she recognized it and talked to me. She knew I was in medical school and she had a long talk with me. And it was only then that I finally got some help because she helped me see that I was depressed, that I was probably clinically depressed. And that's when I got help. Again, because until then, I always thought I was suffering from severe anxiety and that medical school was the biggest cause of my anxiety. I didn't realize that everything in my life was causing me anxiety, which was leading to me feeling so incredibly sad and hopeless and depressed. Right. Even though I was in medical school and I was learning about all of these things, including depression, I didn't recognize the signs of depression in myself. I thought I was unhappy and miserable because I was stretched to the max in every area of my life. And I was literally a textbook case of major depressive disorder, which is the clinical name for depression. Okay. Speaking of which, I'm going to pause on my story for just a minute and stop to define a few terms and clarify a few things, because I think that's really important. First of all, what exactly is depression? Well, depression is a term that's often used very loosely in our language, right? It's used to describe how we feel after a bad week at work or when we're going through a breakup or when we've been disappointed by something or someone in life, right? But being unhappy is not the same thing as being depressed. Depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and a loss of interest in pretty much everything. It's actually one of the most common mental health illnesses worldwide. According to the WHO, the World Health Organization, approximately 300 million people, which is 4.4% of the world's population, suffer from depression globally. And according to the National Institute of Mental Health, which is a division of the NIH, 17.3 million U.S. adults, which is approximately 1 in 12, suffer from depression. Women are nearly twice as likely as men. 8.7% versus 5.3% to suffer from depression. And adolescence, postpartum, and perimenopause are very risky times. Depression has a really significant economic impact. 
and it's also the leading cause of disability worldwide. It's also one of the most common reasons that people will seek out integrative therapies and providers. Now, as I mentioned, depression is also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, and it affects how you feel, think, and behave, and it can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble doing normal day-to-day activities, and sometimes you might even feel as if life isn't worth living. The diagnosis of major depressive disorder or depression is based on the occurrence of at least one depressive episode, which is defined as at least two weeks of depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure in almost all activities, as well as five other symptoms. Well, at least five other symptoms, which I'll get into in a minute. Now that you know what depression is clinically defined as, I want to make one more important point, which is to talk about the connection between anxiety and depression. Because in my story, I told you that I thought I had severe anxiety. I didn't realize that it had progressed to depression. And so the question is, how are they connected? Because a lot of people think that they're separate, but often they happen together. And really, it's a cycle, right? When you get anxious, you tend to have this ongoing thinking about some worry or some problem. And then you feel bad about it. And then you feel like you failed. And the cycle goes on and on and gone. And eventually you start to move towards depression, right? The other thing is, is that these two disorders have a very complicated relationship. First, the chance of acquiring depression is much higher when an anxiety disorder already exists. Nearly half of those with major depression also suffer from severe and persistent anxiety. And second, people who are depressed, like I told you in my case, are often very anxious and worried. And one thing can easily trigger the other. So anxiety will often precede depression. And so the reason that I wanted to make sure I clarify that is because I get this question a lot from people, you know, asking about anxiety and depression. Are they related? Am I only anxious or am I depressed? And what medication should I take? And all of these questions. And so I wanted to clear that up a little bit that really they coexist a lot of the times and it's hard to know which one came first. And they can be something that you cycle through because your anxiety, your persistent anxiety can lead to a feeling of hopelessness because you're just exhausted from being worried all the time, which was definitely how I felt. Okay, so now let's go back to my story. Because as I mentioned, I was a textbook case of depression or major depressive disorder. And I had so many of the signs, but I didn't see them because I kept attributing the signs to the circumstances of my life. I didn't realize that it was depression. And so I wanted to really go through with you the 10 signs of clinical depression that you might be experiencing not realizing it. And I'll talk about what they showed up as for me and how I experienced them. I actually had seven of these signs. And what's important to remember is that if you have five or more of these signs, you should definitely seek help from a medical provider. Okay, so let's go through these. Number one is sleep disturbances, including insomnia or sleeping too much. So it's not being able to sleep or sleeping too much. Number two is tiredness and lack of energy. And so even the smallest of tasks take a lot of extra effort. Now, these two kind of went together for me, right? 
And what happened for me is that I figured, well, medical school is hard. Marriage takes lots of work and motherhood is exhausting. And so, of course, I feel tired all the time and I want to sleep all day and I can't sleep at night because I'm worried and on and on, which I did. You know, I actually did sleep all day because I took maternity leave from medical school for six weeks. And there were days when I literally didn't get out of bed or bathe or brush my teeth because I had no energy and no will to do any of that. And so I definitely had those first two signs. Okay, so the third sign is reduced appetite and weight loss or increased cravings for food and weight gain. Now, in my case, I actually lost weight. I thought, well, of course I lost weight because I don't have an appetite. I'm so anxious I can't eat. I'm, you know, breastfeeding. But here's the thing I lost 30 pounds in two months. And by the end of that, I was nearly the same weight I was when I was 18 years old. And I was 27 at that time and had just had a baby. So there was obviously something going on there, but I didn't see it. The fourth sign is that you have trouble thinking, concentrating and making decisions and remembering things, just like brain fog. You can't think. And of course, I thought, well, of course I can't remember anything. I'm studying and I'm overwhelmed and I have so much I have to do and memorize. And, you know, of course I can't focus. I have a newborn baby at home and I'm nursing and I'm taking care of this baby. And so again, I was able to explain away the fact that I was really having trouble focusing. The fifth sign of depression is feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, or hopelessness. And I already told you in my story that, you know, I felt sad and hopeless and tearful every day. And I thought, well, you know, I'm under a lot of stress. I just had a baby. My hormones are adjusting. But I was crying every day, multiple times a day. And again, that wasn't normal, but I explained it away. The sixth sign of depression is anxiety, agitation, or restlessness. And the seventh is feelings of worthlessness or guilt and fixating on past failures or self-blame. Again, these two kind of went hand in hand for me. And as I said, I thought, well, I'm anxious, I'm, I have test anxiety, I'm sleep deprived, I'm worried that, you know, I'm taking maternity leave from medical school, what will people think of me? And then, of course, that would lead to these thoughts of, well, I'm a failure and I'm failing at everything. And so round and round I would go. So again, I explained it as this is the anxiety I'm feeling. Of course, I'm in medical school. So I had seven of the 10 signs right there, but again, I didn't see it. And so let me just go through the last three, numbers eight, nine, and 10. I didn't have these signs, but I want to make sure that I tell you what they are. Number eight is slowed thinking, speaking, or body movements. Number nine is unexplained physical problems such as back pain or headaches. And number 10 is frequent or recurrent thoughts of death, suicidal thoughts, or suicide attempts. Now, once again, if you have any of these signs, especially the last one where you have any kind of suicidal thoughts, it's really, really important that you seek help from a medical provider. And if you have any of these signs, any of the other ones, it's really important to go back through this full list and really consider if you have some of the other signs and are you just explaining them away or is there something more there? And if you're not sure, again, ask for help. 
And so now that I've talked about the 10 signs of depression, I want to shift towards solutions. Okay. And I'm going to share again, three things that I did personally that were really powerful remedies. They were three powerful steps that I took to really start healing my depression and taking back control of my life. And this was really sort of the start of my return back to Ayurvedic medicine. And I'll explain what I mean in just a minute. The first thing that I did was I accepted and I asked for help. As I mentioned, I was newly married. My husband, Kanwar, could really, he could see how much I was struggling. And he would ask me every single day how he could support me. And I just kept saying, nope, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I can handle it. I'm all right. You know, because I didn't want him to think that I couldn't handle it. (laughs) And I was also really isolating myself, which is very common in depression. And so I realized at some point that I had to accept help and ask for help. Now, the medical data on this is actually really clear, right? Decreased serotonin, which is a hormone that's released in the brain and actually created in the gut, is closely linked to depression. Although it's not entirely clear why some of us make less serotonin than others, it's called the happy hormone because it creates a sense of contentment and calm. Now, one way to increase serotonin is to foster a feeling of connection, which is a common suggestion that many doctors will give to their patients who are depressed. And so that's why petting a dog or holding hands or giving hugs or snuggling or even a really loving heart-to-heart chat with someone you love or a friend feels so good because you have that happy hormone that gets released. You literally get a serotonin hit by way of a very complex cascade of hormones, which I'm not going to go into right now. But in addition, when we connect through physical touch with an animal or another person, another hormone is also released, which is called oxytocin. This is also known as the love hormone. And it not only decreases the acute stress response, but it also strengthens immunity, lowers the risk of cardiovascular disease, and it eases depression. So literally, when you have connection with other people and with an animal, you actually are releasing these hormones that will help to start ease your depression. And so by accepting help from my family, from doctors, from therapists, I actually was starting to increase these hormones in my body, in my brain, in my gut. You know, I asked for help from my family. I really leaned on them for support, including my husband. I asked for help from a psychiatrist and I actually started medication. That was actually really, really important for me to do. And I asked for help from a therapist. And what I saw was that as I started to get this help and I started to slowly make these hormones again and these neurochemicals in my body, it was almost like this cloud lifted from me, right? I don't know if any of you are old enough to watch Snoopy, the Snoopy cartoon when you were younger. And I can't remember the name of the little guy would walk around with a little blanket and his thumb in his mouth. And then he also had a rain cloud, or maybe I'm mixing up two characters, whatever. But you guys, if you've seen it, you, you know what I'm talking about. But there's this little character who would walk around and he literally had a little cartoon of a cloud that would follow him around. And that's literally how I felt when I was depressed. I felt like I couldn't see straight. And it was almost like when I started taking medication, 
And I started doing these things to connect and I felt supported because of what was happening physiologically in my brain and in my body, that cloud just started to lift a little. And I could see clearer. It wasn't like everything was foggy. I could see clearer. I was more motivated to do things. And it was really the beginning of my journey back to myself. Now, what's really interesting is that at the time, I didn't realize that I was actually tapping into a very powerful concept in Ayurveda, which is that toxins actually come from every aspect of life, right? And for me, there were lots of toxins coming from the place that I actually didn't have any relationships, that I was isolating myself from all of my relationships. And that was actually creating toxins in me, which was then showing up as depression, as the symptom of depression. It was causing this imbalance within me because I had this lack of connection to other people. So literally, I was actually already tapping into the power of Ayurveda without even knowing it. Okay, so the second powerful step that I took to really heal my depression was I started following a daily routine. You know, during medical school, I didn't have a routine at all. I mean, I was up late every day studying at night, and then I was stuck inside all day in a lecture hall or a laboratory, or I was in the hospital. And, you know, I think there were times when I really didn't even know what day it was or if it was light or dark outside. You know, I didn't know what time of the day it was. I was completely mixed up because I was indoors so much and I was completely out of sync with nature. Now, what I didn't think about at the time was that this was completely screwing up my circadian rhythm. And again, the medical data on this is clear. The circadian rhythm is the body's internal clock that controls the sleep-wake cycle through the release of melatonin, which helps us sleep, and then the release of cortisol, which helps us wake up. Now, the release of melatonin is controlled by exposure to natural daylight during the day. So that means that too little exposure to natural life during the daytime can actually lead to decreased production of melatonin, which then causes sleep problems, which then leads to a cascade of all kinds of other issues because the release of melatonin is linked to the release of cortisol, which is then linked to the release of feedback loops that influence the release of other hormones. And that ultimately affects every system and organ in the body. You get what I'm saying, right? Everything's linked. And so in my case, I was stuck indoors with artificial lights all day and many times really late into the night. So my body had no idea what was what, right? My circadian rhythm was completely out of whack. And there's research to back this up. Andrew Huberman, who is an associate professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford University, explains it this way. If sunlight reaches your eyes soon after you wake, it will trigger a neural circuit that then controls the timing of the hormones cortisol and melatonin, which affects sleep. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a night owl or a morning bird, he says, you know, the important thing is that you should get some natural sunlight first thing in the morning. He goes on to say that even if it's cloudy outside, getting some natural daylight into your eyes first thing in the morning will reset your biological clock or your circadian rhythm. And so I did just that. I started following a daily routine, specifically 
I made sure that I got outside in natural daylight for just 10 minutes every morning. I literally went outside, walked around the block, around the hospital, just to get some natural daylight into me. And that started to reset my circadian rhythm. Now, notice I didn't try to adjust everything in my routine all at once. You know, that would have been so unrealistic and really would have set me up for failure and more negative self-talk. You know, I already had depression. And so I had to do things that would really lift me up and make me feel like I was succeeding. So as I felt better, because I was taking medication and I was connecting with people and seeing a therapist to talk about what I was feeling, I added something small every day. You know, first it was getting outside for 10 minutes. And then the next week I would add something different. You know, I added journaling and then I added five minutes of meditation. And step by step, I started to get back in sync with my life and with nature. I started slow. I did one thing at a time. And as again, the neurochemicals started to increase in my body and my brain, I felt like I could actually have the energy and the motivation to actually do these things in my life. So I guess my message is really start slow. You know, you want to get your body and your mind back in sync with your circadian rhythm and with nature, but don't try to do everything all at once. Now, again, I was tapping into the power of Ayurveda without even knowing it. As I've said many times on this podcast, the essence of Ayurveda is literally that when you are in harmony with nature, you will have optimal health. And I was completely out of sync with nature, right? And so when we do these things where we actually harmonize with the daily rhythm of nature, with the path of the sun through the sky, we're resetting our circadian rhythm daily. And they knew this in Ayurveda 5,000 years ago. And so again, I was tapping into the power of Ayurveda without even realizing it. Okay, so here we are at the third powerful step that I took to heal my depression. And that was I changed my diet. You know, I was literally eating on the run every day while I was walking, while I was driving. You know, I barely had time to eat. I was eating hospital food. I was eating out of the vending machines. I'd stuff things into my lab coat and walk around. And, you know, all of these foods were processed foods. They were highly palatable foods that had a lot of sugar and salt and fat in them because they were processed. And what I didn't realize is that I was completely wrecking my gut microbiome in the process, which was adding to my depression. Now, the medical data on this is clear. The gut and the brain are connected. We know this. We know that there's been tons of data and tons of research on the gut brain, as we call it, or the second brain of the body. 95% of the serotonin in our bodies is actually produced in the gut by the microbiome in the gut. And as I said before, serotonin is linked directly to depression. The less serotonin you have, the higher the likelihood you'll have depression. And the bottom line is this, the foods that we put into our mouths every single day are either going to help a healthy gut microbiome or they're going to destroy a healthy gut microbiome. They're either going to add to it or subtract from it. And so what we eat every day directly affects our mental health. So what did I do? I started to just add as many healthy foods as I could. Now, when I say healthy, I just mean non-processed foods. I really started to try 
and sort of crowd out those processed foods that I was eating. So I'd eat more fresh vegetables and cooked vegetables and cooked lentils. And, you know, I asked my family for help. I did all these things because I knew that as a busy medical student and a busy young mother, it was going to be really hard for me to cook all the time for myself. So I asked for help and I did the best that I could when I was in the hospital. And this really took a lot of time. You know, the dietary changes were the most challenging for me, definitely. But that was a very powerful tool that over time really, really changed my gut microbiome. And I could see that I was feeling better. And so it was probably everything that was helping me. But this was definitely one of the key things that I did was to change my diet. And again, you can imagine I'm going to tell you that I was tapping into a powerful concept in Ayurveda, which is digestion and our digestive fire is a key to optimal health. And so I've talked about this concept on previous episodes of this podcast, right? That according to Ayurveda, your digestive fire is critical for optimal health. A strong digestive fire takes anything that comes into the system, keeps what it needs, and burns off or eliminates the rest, right? A weak digestive fire can't keep up with this process, and so toxins build up, which then causes an imbalance, which then causes symptoms, and can then result in illness and chronic disease. So in my case, the foods that I was actually eating were creating toxins in my body. In addition to the fact that I was isolating myself and not having relationships, right? The toxic load in my body was so high from all of these different things. And so as I started to change how I was eating, that helped to start decrease the toxic load and at the same time increased my serotonin production in my body. Okay, I know I have covered so much in this episode. So just to recap, the three powerful steps that I took to heal my depression. Number one, I accepted and I asked for help. Number two, I started following a daily routine. And number three, I changed my diet. I really hope that my stories helped you in some way. And I want to thank you for sticking with me to the end and allowing me to really get vulnerable about my struggles with depression, providing a space for me to do this and allowing me to cry and get a little emotional. It's not something that I do very often in public. And I have one more ask of all of you. I'd ask that if you know someone who is depressed, please share this episode with them. Or even if you have someone that you think might be depressed, please share this episode with them. I hope that it'll inspire them in some way or at least get them thinking that maybe they should ask for some help. In addition, I'd love to hear what you've learned, what insights you've had. So please DM me on Instagram or tag me or share the episode on Instagram. I'd love if you would do that. And just let me know what you thought and what things you learned. It would really mean a lot to me. And remember, as always, healing starts with you because healing starts within. Until next time, be well. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way, you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling really inspired, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast more easily. If you want to learn more, visit me on the interwebs at avantikumarsingh.com and you can subscribe to my newsletter 
where I send exclusive invites to my events, special announcements, and give you more self-healing tools and tips. And if you want to hang out even more with me, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Avanti Kumar Singh, and we can connect more there. Until next time, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.